You're listening to a Metro podcast. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. I don't like being called a lady writer. It seems like gallantry to you, but it doesn't feel right to us. We believe survivors. The only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. Welcome to the kind of woman power that sustained our grandmothers for 72 years in their struggle to get the right to vote. Welcome to the new wave of feminism. Welcome to each other. Welcome home. Welcome to Nth Wave, the podcast about women and the media. On the show this week, how the practice of sex testing targets female Olympic athletes. That's coming up on Nth Wave. Welcome to Nth Wave. I'm Rosemary Westwood, your host and national columnist for Metro News. This Olympics will see women make up 44% of all athletes, which is an important achievement, the most that we've ever seen. But those strides don't preclude sexism in other forms. So something I wrote about in a column this week and was also written by Denise Bakasun at The Globe, and it was also picked up by The Cut at New York Magazine, and it was also all over Twitter. The way that women athletes are treated by the media is certainly not the same as men. Women are, you know, deemed pretty in a headline uh, by the Sun newspaper uh, as some kind of, I don't know, something to celebrate instead of the fact that maybe that swimmer just won an, uh, an Olympic medal. Women are being referred to uh, in terms of their husbands uh, and, and various other things. And it's interesting because, you know, We tend to think of equality in numbers, for example, like the number of athletes who might be competing as as evidence of change. But sexism is a lot deeper than than something like a simple figure like that. And in fact, one of the most disturbing stories about sexism that I've read in relation to the Olympics for a long time is by our guest today, Kate Allen, science and technology reporter at The Star. Kate, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So um, you've written this story. It's something that came out a week ago or so. And it's about the practice of sex testing, which targets female Olympic athletes, as the headline says. Um, tell me about how you got interested in this. What, what, A, what is sex testing? And how did this story sort of come to your attention? Mm. So sex testing is sort of um, the practice of trying to find, an, I guess, a, a biological definition for who is a woman and who is a man for the purposes of athletic competition. Uh, but in, in practice, it only really ever is applied to women. So, you know, since since women really started competing at uh, the elite levels of sport uh, in the, the first half of the last century, uh, the the various athletic bodies, including the IOC, have, have come up with different ways to say, yes, you're really a woman for the purposes of athletic competition or no, you're not. And I mean, not to give it away too soon, but all of the ways they've tried to do that have totally failed and fractured and broken down and left a gigantic smoking pile of garbage and anger <laughs> in its wake. And I got interested interested in this story because I am, as you said, a science and technology reporter. And I mean, I actually can't remember what first tipped me off. onto the, I had been wanting to write this story basically since the last Olympics. And I had been collecting all these little pieces of research that I kept seeing about how 
biological sex is more complicated than we thought it was. It's it's really hard to lump, you know, men and women into two binary categories uh, based on an, any group of or one biological factor. And it's just, you know, basically the biology of sex is like hopelessly complicated and chaotic. And, uh, and sports is a place where, you know, that becomes more than just an academic interest. It actually, you know, affects people's lives. And those people are always women. So that is because of the idea that it would be unfair for a quote unquote man to compete against women, but not like it's not seen as unfair because perhaps she would never win or something if a woman competed against men? Like yeah, why is it only women who are affected? Well, the justification always is to create a level playing field for female athletes. So, you know, it, it was much more apparent early on. Um, it's sort of been muddied in recent years, but especially early on, the stated reason for for having these these practices was to catch men masquerading as women who are going to you know blow away the competition um and was that know. was were there ever reason to believe that that was the case no there's never there's never okay. been well okay so that's that's a really complicated question though so so the answer the easy answer to that is no there's never been a a real um someone who's really a man who just you know like <laughs> tucked his thing up and you know yeah. beat all these women and right. that's never happened what has happened uh and uh, over and over and over and over again is that people with born with genetic sex diversity so some part of their biology again can't fit easily into what we think of as female biology so whether that's their external genitalia or their chromosomes or their internal reproductive organs just don't fit with, you know, their stated gender. Um, and those people have been caught out. Um, Quote, unquote. Air quotes. There's yes. so many air quotes or <laughs> actual quotes in this story. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> caught. Right. Uh, for being real, more air quotes, really a man. Right. But in in every case, I mean, a lot of these happened, you know, almost a century ago now. So it's, it's hard to go back and piece together what happened. But um, I, most of, I think all of these, these people who were caught were, were people with, again, genetic sex diversity. They weren't really a man. They had something that didn't correspond to whatever biological determinant the athletic bodies were using at the time to say, yes, this is what makes you a woman. And they've used different ones. So it's different for all of them. And, and that's so interesting because it's, it's sort of, um, gives lie to the safety some might take in this idea that there are, clear, definable things that make you a man and clear, definable things that make you a woman or male or and female, I guess mm -hmm. we should say. Yeah, it made, me, it made me sort of, I think people have gotten really comfortable, I say this in the story, people have gotten really comfortable with the idea that there is, you know, a biological sex and a social gender. And those, sometimes those things don't match up. But the reality is that there isn't, there are often, or you know, biological sex is not that clear. And, uh, and also, you know, it's, it's, it's not even clear where to divide social gender and biological sex. It's just, a, as I said, it's a, it's chaos. <laughs> and what about the instances of this? I mean, I don't know if this came up in um, the story, I can't remember, but do we know how many people have these indeterminate factors that, yeah, yeah. is so, that like, 
0.5% of the population? Right. Or do we do we know? There's actually a lot. I didn't actually put this in the story. There's, there's a lot of, we don't know. The answer is we don't know. Um, there's a lot of conflicting numbers out there. I've seen everything from one in, I think, maybe 2,000 was maybe the highest number that I saw. Other, It depends how you define it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there. And, I, I mean... They're just so um, uh, shadowed or, or or curtain. Like I've just, it's not something that we really mm-hmm. talk about ever. Well, well, a lot of it also is that part of the reason it's hard to come up with with uh, numbers is that most people with some sort of genetic sex diversity with something that would you know not sort of correspond with their gender identity would would probably never know. Um, you know, you hear there's stories in the medical literature of, of people who, you know, have gone their entire lives and they, you only find out uh, at an autopsy after their death or, you know, for some random reason late in life that actually their their sex chromosome, they have, you know, they've lived their lives as a woman, but they, their sex chromosomes are X, Y. Um, so so we just we just don't know. <laughs> that is so interesting. It takes me back to high school science and it's like, you guys, we we were taught a certain thing yes. and it's just yeah. not... Yeah, as, Not as usual with what they teach you in high school biology. It's a lot more complicated. <laughs> so um, let's talk about some of the more of the history of this. Um, what are some of, over time, the different tests? Like, give us some examples of people and tests that have been done in the past. Um, you start, actually, with uh, something as recent as 2011, 2012. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to start at the beginning and then go back. or It's probably easier to start at the beginning because okay. you... You start to see, uh, yeah, because it gets more complicated as the years go on. So the the first thing that, uh, so the first the first you know known sex test uh, was in the 1936 Olympics, and basically uh, an American sprinter, female sprinter, and a Polish female sprinter went head to head. I think the American, yeah, the American edged out the the, the Polish sprinter, um, and the the Polish media sort of started throwing shade on whether she was really a woman because she was so fast or whatever. Um, so they, the Olympic officials felt the need to state that they had conducted a sex test on this American sprinter and she had passed. So, sorry, Len, let's just clarify this. When you say that the Polish, um, throwing shade, like that's, that's maybe society or media Mm -hmm. pressure. Yeah. So the media, I guess what I'm trying to underline is from the very beginning, the media has played a role in Big in time. making the, this an issue that the Olympics has to yeah, respond it's, to, in it's some very way. much. It's very much. I mean, the, yeah, maybe, we should maybe asterisk that and come back to it later. But um, yeah, for sure, you know, uh, social expectations about who looks female and what what is feminine uh, play a huge role in who even gets sex tested in the first place. But yeah, with with the with right. The, so if you look, if if you seem to be looking masculine, maybe bone structure, muscle right. builder, race, or race, race. Like, you know, um, the, since so okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. The the it was mandatory for a while. Sex testing was mandatory for all female athletes in the middle of the century. They dropped that, as um, in like they look at to see if you have a vagina. Literally, they take your underwear <laughs> like that. Yeah. That kind of sex yes, testing, yeah. like literally just what yes. are your genitals? Yes, okay. yeah, they yeah. call them nude. Well, the you know. Uh, dismissive term for them was nude parade. So yes, right. you, you would. The first thing that happened, and I think this was in the mid '60s, was that you just had to show up and drop your pants in front of a panel of doctors. Um, wow. Yeah, it's unclear whether there were male doctors or female doctors. I think the sports bodies have said, oh, they were female doctors. Anyway, the point is, you had to drop your pants. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, those were ridiculously inaccurate. 
or inaccurate, not like there's an accurate thing to find. But anyway, right. uh, you know, they weren't effective. People's biology are, you know, are very diverse. Mm-hmm. As, you know, there's there's that artist who does plaster casts of women's vaginas. I they love all this look artist. different. Side <laughs> yeah. note, pause for this artist. I saw this like maybe four years ago and I'd never, it was just something that passed by on Facebook. I had never seen so many labia in my life. <laughs> and I had no idea, having not spent a ton of time at that point, in change rooms <laughs> yeah. how diverse women's yeah, genitals sure. were it's like for genuinely sure. I did not know that mm-hmm. and when I saw that I was like wow that is yeah so fascinating yeah and features like um, clitoromegaly which is an enlarged clitoris clitoromegaly is something that can be associated with an intersex condition um, it can also be you know just that's just what you got like right. you know it's it's Completely. associated with all kinds of stuff i think premature birth is associated with clitoromegaly so there's all kinds of reasons you could have um uh, external genitalia that again don't fit easily into um, a prescribed single exactly idea what, of what what a vagina a, is supposed to look like yeah, what what women genitalia, are supposed to look like yeah. so uh, that crumbled really quickly also obviously people are you know saying that this is uh, very uh, we don't want to do this yeah. <laughs> yeah this is this is crappy right so um, I think that even crumbled before the next Olympics I think that only was applied at like world championships and stuff like that but the next thing that uh, was tried was this thing called a bar body test which tests for um, it's, it's essentially an, an a, a signature in your cells that indicates that you have two X chromosomes mm. because it's it's if you want to read the long, complicated science, why it's in the story, but basically yeah. one of your one of your X chromosomes, if if you have two, gets bundled in all of your cells, and it shows up on this stain as this little blot. So you can do this bar body test. It shows that you have uh, if you see this blot, you have XX chromosomes. But again, it started you know uh, well well for for years it sort of it started air quotes catching <laughs> all kinds of people who um, you know slunk away from competition or you know, what have you. Um, in 1985, a Spanish hurdler um, was, air quotes, caught mm-hmm. <laughs> not having, you know, not having two XX chromosomes. She had right. XY chromosomes. And, you know, th- this was, as with all of these people, came came out of the the blue like she had never questioned her own gender her family had never questioned her own gender this and she, was a total shock to her just to clarify she was tested because everybody was so these uh, these see, 1985 blood yes. tests were yeah, for everybody mandatory, mandatory. Right. yeah and and i think that she was also caught before i can't believe i'm saying this air quotes caught uh <laughs> before before the we can assume let's assume all every time i say caught, caught or like air that, their, that their gender was like verified or whatever Right. Everything ridiculous in the context of this story. <laughs> yeah. Can assume. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah. So so she it turned out she had X, Y chromosomes uh, or. Uh, yeah. So but what it what it turned out she also had was this condition or yeah condition called um, uh, androgen insensitivity syndrome, which means that her androgen receptors or the receptors for essentially male hormones don't work so as she put it her body as an as an you know as an embryo never never received the signal to develop male features so she looks like a woman she i mean she is a woman she grew up as a woman she's a woman uh is that where the term androgynous 
comes from? Uh, well, that just comes generally from the Greek word for man. Oh, okay. And I should know this. I have a classics major. Oh, anyway, I didn't I, know that. I'm <laughs> just, so. I, I've, as you can see, I've come a long way from my yeah. Greek, <laughs> ancient Greek days. But anyway, yeah, general word for Greek word for man. But uh, anyway, she they basically gave her the option to go go away silently, which is you know we don't really have good numbers on how many athletes were caught which <laughs> are all let's repeat are all women yes at each um, games because so many of them would have just slunk away before you know before you know just because to, what happens to these women who get caught in the media well okay so hmm i know the most about i know the most about um stella walsh the polish sprinter i i mentioned at the beginning um uh whose home hometown media sort of questioned the American sprinter um, and led to the first sex success. So she, okay, so she's so interesting because uh, she was uh, horrifically murdered randomly in a in a, a botched robbery in 1980 in Cleveland. And when the coroner did an autopsy on on her, uh, the coroner discovered that she had a tiny non-functioning penis. So she had she had. This is what was reported in the media. She had a, she had a tiny non-functioning penis. Of course, that sort of spiraled out of control. Everybody freaked out and said, "Oh my God!" You know this this woman. She had actually previously before that Olympics where she came in second. I think she had a gold at the one before that. And they had said, "Oh my God!" Stella Walsh, this Polish sprinter, was really a man. She had a penis. Like you know, again, feeds into this whole narrative of that it, she was really a man masquerading as a woman, right? And uh, had sort of snuck in and whatever. Which I've, also speaks to some weird fear of that generally. Like, yeah, it is very weird. There's some kind of broader cultural concern. I know. I know. About that. It it's, makes me, th- I've been thinking about the transgender bathroom yes. brouhaha this yeah. whole time. Yeah. Anyway, side yeah. note. Yeah. No, it is, it is very related to that. But uh, anyway, uh, as it turned out, Stella Walsh had um, mixed gonadal dysgenesis, which means she had mosaic chromosomes. So, so instead of just having XX or just having XY, she had some of her cells were XX and some of them were XY. Actually, she might have been some of her cells. I can't remember if she was XX and some of hers were XXY. You can have any, any basically, you know, all kinds of combinations. And it comes from uh, embryonic cell division errors. But essentially, different cells had different sets of chromosomes. And um, what it results in is sort of ambiguous mixed internal reproductive organs. She wouldn't have had a, 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 a womb. She wouldn't have had a, a uterus. Um, but she, I think she probably also wouldn't have had like fully developed testes either. It would just be sort of ambiguous. And her external genitalia was also ambiguous. I mean, in the media, it was sort of just uh, the stories I saw did say at some point, you know, tiny non-functioning penis, whatever, mixed mixed chromosomes. But you know, the headline was also, you know, was really a man. Mm-hmm. But but you know, her 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 all of her <laughs> was biologically mixed. Her chromosomes were mixed. Her internal uh, reproductive reproductive organs were mixed. Her external genitalia were mixed. And she lived her life. The coroner felt the need to say she lived her life and she died as a woman. She's a woman. I mean, of course, that also didn't get passed on through the generations. And, you know, throughout the years, including, you know, very, very, very recently, you can you can find any any newspaper article or most newspaper articles that mention Stella Walsh. It'll be some like, you know, roundup of like men caught masquerading as women in the Olympics and, or it'll basically just say she was really a man or like she was you know packing heat between her <laughs> that is so crazy <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's it's not crazy to me that people don't know this sort of like 
interesting, complicated um, biology. biology behind it. Or maybe, I don't know. It, I guess it is interesting that like well, <laughs> this t- weird narrative has is alive and well, but the you know reality sort of faded away from, from view. I suppose that's not... Yeah, right. not that unexpected. And, and, you know, to go back to this idea of what we may or may not learn correctly in high school science classes, um, I was in high school in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that was a long, long time from the beginning of when sex testing would have become a thing. And obviously sex testing is just also like one avenue through which to look at all of this research about mm-hmm. um, biological sex and what it is and how to define it and what it means. And to to know that I would have gone through school, I'm quite sure that if my teacher had said, by the way, there's actually no really good way to tell the difference between <laughs> a woman, quote, and a man, quote, that would have stuck with me. I don't mm-hmm. recall anything like that. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason. Like, there's no reason mm-hmm. to your point about why is this not something we understand. There's no scientific reason that this research would not be part of something that might be taught in the 2000s mm-hmm. to students, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. Um, well, something actually, this sort of parallel avenue of scholarly inquiry that is so interesting. There's all these anthropologists and, uh, you know, gender studies um academics out there who look at the this the science of science period and you know in all kinds of different ways have found that essentially it's quite common for at the very least for research findings that confirm our sort of binary view of gender to get highlighted and you know cited and passed on whereas um you know, research that complicates those ideas just tend to sort of sink away. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but also I just want to make something clear. It's not like everyone in the world is a muddle and, you know, there, there's no, it's okay. So the, the, the biology people here, um, even the ones who, who, especially the ones who actually research like the, the, you know, the, these, these complicated realities, they wouldn't say that, uh, biological sex is a spectrum. What they would say was that w- would be that most people do, you know, uh, easily lump into one of two categories. But but any way you you look for for gender, whether you're looking at genitals, chromosomes, whatever, there are going to be exceptions. So you just can't come up with a biological marker, a biomarker essentially, of gender that will always easily divide everybody cleanly into two categories so and and you know that's their perspective i think other people would say absolutely it's a spectrum but um i just i don't want to like you know uh, inaccurately pass on what they have said to me so yeah that sounds like a good place for a quick break we'll be right back on nth wave Alan, science and technology reporter at The Star. Um, So we were just talking about how, um, you know, over the years, um, the Olympics have been trying to and never finding because there apparently is no good test for who's a man and who's a woman for the purposes of of sport. Um, And I'm wondering where we are right now. What is the Olympics doing right now? Is there sex testing? If so, why or why not? What's the current situation? Yeah, so in the 90s, that hurdler I mentioned um, from the Spanish hurdler, um, who, you know, she she was found to have 
failed a bar body test uh, saying that so it would indicated that she had XY chromosomes. She essentially put up a huge stink instead of slinking away quietly like they wanted her to and uh, um, uh, appealed appealed the decision um, uh, to the the athletic federation that you know controls these things. And uh, that that really brought a lot of visibility to the unfairness and discriminatory nature of, of these policies. And in the early 90s, um, so, okay, yeah, so for people who don't follow amateur sports that closely, there's the IAAF, the athletic, the, oh gosh, anyway, International Association of Athletic Federations, I think. Um, they, they're sort of responsible for everything, all the world championships up to the Olympics. And then there's the IOC that um, handles the Olympics. So the IAAF um, agreed, so did away with uh, mandatory sex testing in the early 90s. They, they got some, a bunch of scientists together who, scientists have been saying for years, like, this is ridiculous. It's, it just, this doesn't work. It's discriminatory. The science is bad, yada, yada, yada. So they, the IAAF did away with it in the early 90s. The IOC, <laughs> Uh, did away with the bar body testing and instead p- instituted this other test for this other gene on the Y chromosome. Anyway, they, they did that for, for almost another decade. Mandatory. Until, uh, yes. Until 1999. And finally in 1999, they said, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Well, you know, we, we, won't, we won't have any, um, any mandatory sex testing. So the 2000 Olympics, I think, was in Sydney and was the first games where there was no mandatory sex testing. But... Uh, which was celebrated as a victory at the time. What uh, both of the athletic bodies uh, uh, continued to have was sort of ad hoc, as necessary testing. So they sort of reserved the right to to test somebody if if a, if an issue came up. And what kind of testing were they applying? Ah, uh, so I don't. Th- so okay, it, it ended up being a battery of of different tests. Um, so so there was actually a there was, <laughs> sorry, just to yeah. stop you there. If one test isn't good <laughs> enough, we'll do a bunch of those one tests that aren't good enough. Yeah, I mean, and I think that was something. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I think they were trying to weigh it's a bunch hysterical. of different. I think they were trying to weigh a bunch of different sort of. Um, factors to try to come up with a more nuanced I, I i mean you know these are these are a not a bunch of not good tests does not make a good <laughs> test am i right that's what scientists would say actually okay. um rah rah yeah so uh so how many people do we know how many people that they were electing to test hmm, or how frequent those were question oh there was a whole bunch of the 1996 games oh sorry that's 96 uh i actually don't know there was an indian a uh, sp- sprinter, I believe, who was flagged by I, I don't I don't know her story as well, mm-hmm. um, and was you know like traumatically outed. I think she found out on TV that she had been she deemed had been, a different yeah, gender. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but the the one that sort of caught everybody's attention and you know <laughs> it's set the garbage pile and fire again uh was caster semenya the south african sprinter or she's not a sprinter she's an eight, a middle distance runner 800 meters um who she she blew away the competition in a couple um championships in i think 2008 or 2009 and she is she first of all she is a just an incredible sprinter she's just phenomenal um she's she's black she's really muscular um and she got Again, flagged somehow for sex testing. Her her competitors 
especially an Italian one and a Russian one, both white, were sort of like, oh, just look at her, you know, made these. And South Africa, South in Africans. The pu- they made public statements Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. to the media, yeah. Wow. And, and sorry, what year is this again? Oh, sorry, that was 2009, maybe, 2008, 2009. Okay. And uh, South Africans flipped out because they're saying, okay, not only is this sexist, it's also racist. Blatantly. You know, yeah. Completely. The only reason she's getting flagged is because she doesn't look like, you know, doesn't conform to white uh Ideas uh, of, of femininity. femininity, exactly. So, um, uh, and and Catherine Semenya had some heartbreaking, you know, statements like, the you know, the most intimate parts of my being have been probed and exposed, things like that. It was really oh. awful, awful to watch. And uh, the, you know, naturally, the the athletic bodies caught a lot of flack for this. Were heavily, heavily, heavily criticized for this sort of. Um, brouhaha and so nobody so the one good oh god it's not even a good thing we don't know what they found with this battery of tests you know a bunch of biological tests uh, or as in you know ones that internal gynecological exams we think um psychological exams as well all, all kinds of stuff we don't know what they found so that that's you know a Maybe cold Good, comfort, but right, at least yeah. at least you know they didn't release these uh, right. results to the public. But she was cleared for competition again, and she went on to win a silver um, in the next Olympic Games in 2012. I guess that would have been London. London. Um, is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just so interesting because it's such a recent case. And mm-hmm. although I'm someone who watches the Olympics, I'm not someone who I actually don't recall this story, and mm. I don't know what I was doing at the time and, and why it didn't register for me. And But I felt that way about a lot of these stories that despite them obviously drawing a lot of media attention somehow I had had. I don't know well, how I, I missed it. If, well, no, it makes sense. I mean, um, you know, the world of like track is kind of in, can be insular. The people who care about it care a lot about it, but it doesn't, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm a runner and I, I follow um I follow track. So, uh, yeah, I saw it. Um, it also, like, launched a thousand PhD dissertations. There's, right. There's everything from, you know, there, there, there's critical theory on this case out there and anthropology, just so much writing on it, which is even more horrible for her. This, this poor woman never, never, never asked for this. Um, and no. anyway, she's also competing at Rio. She's sort of heavily favored to win the uh the 800 meters. Um, Fascinating. But anyway, so as a result of this whole controversy, this whole ad hoc thing, um, the the IAAF and the IOC, well, the IAAF uh, sort of retrenched and came up with these rules uh, called the the, uh, the the policy for women in hyperandrogenism, which essentially they said, well, they didn't explicitly that's say, such I'm a horrifying <laughs> name. What it is whatever. is the, not supposedly not. It's not sex testing. It's not testing for uh, to say you're a woman. It's testing for unfair advantage. That's their um, spin on it. And uh, what it is is they they have they have decided that if your testosterone, if your very, you know your blood testosterone um, is is in the male range, which the IAAF specified exactly what it was, and the IOC just said in the male range, then you have to lower it through drugs or surgery to compete. And, yeah, and and so... Sorry, I just want to jump in there because that's what marks the beginning of this story, Mm -hmm. right? There's um, four female athletes um, 
Yeah. Who went to get clitorectomies, right? Clitoridectomies. Yeah. Sorry. So these athletes, again, oh, yeah. Okay. So they, I, I was just forgetting how they got flagged or whatever, but through um, doping control tests and other kinds of tests, they were discovered to have high testosterone or testosterone supposedly in the male range. And uh, they were sent to this clinic in France to get it looked at. And as it turned out, they, surprise, surprise, um, had this intersex condition called 5-alpha reductase deficiency, which essentially means that their bodies don't produce this um, secondary hormone that is involved in the development of, of male external, male typical male external um, genitalia. So again, they <laughs> discovered this in a clinic. They would never have, they, you know, uh, well, we don't know much about their, their details of their lives because this is in uh, journal article, but it seems like they had no question about their gender identity because the, the authors report that they had all these questions about childbearing and menstruation and sex and stuff. Um, what the doctors recommended was that they get their internal reproductive organs removed, which because of this condition would have been testy. So they would have got their internal reproductive organs removed. They would have had partial clitoridectomy. So they would have had their clitorises reduced um, in size, which is purely cosmetic. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So just to make that point, yeah, that they, um, these women were given this option for these invasive procedures uh-huh. to, in order to compete. You yes. get this done, you get to compete. You don't do this, you don't get to compete. Right. And so, they, you know, they, yeah, there's real questions about, um, you know, what what is uh, coercive, real, real consent in this scenario. I mean, yes, they, they agreed to it, but did they have a choice? So an interesting thing about these women, we don't know anything about them, only that they were from rural and mountainous regions of developing countries. So, I mean, in a lot of cases like this, these people are the the economic, uh, you know, um, uh, support for their, their families. So uh, their ability to compete in sport is, you know, critical. Right. So what, it, what choice do they really have? We, we, I mean, we don't know. I also don't want to project any kind of... I, maybe they walked away thinking like, thank God I got my internal reproductive organs removed and a clitoridectomy. Yay. Sure. We have no idea. But but but, you're, but to your point about the clitoridectomy, that, mm-hmm. as you say, that doesn't actually do no. anything. No. So yeah, clearly, I, there's, there's no, there's no um, uh, competitive reason to have a, a smaller clitoris. So these women were trying to compete in what... What? We don't know. We okay. don't know. We just know that they were elite athletes. So right. Probably track. Okay. And so, sorry, do you do we know that anyone will be getting sex testing for this Olympic Games? Right. So, um, so there was <laughs> there was a lot of hoopla. Again, hoopla sounds dismissive. I don't mean it to sound dismissive. There was a lot of criticism of of um, these hyperandrogenism rules. Also, because once again. Um, the the science of whether testosterone really is the thing that confers, you know, the entire advantage that men have over women, is is that the entire determining factor? And so what happened was uh, an, another Indian sprinter got um, flagged for you know she was her um, testosterone levels were too high to compete, and uh, she and actually a bunch a bunch of um, uh, like a team, but a team that included a lot of Torontonian uh, 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 lawyers and academics, took the took her case to the International Court of Arbitration for Sport and got the got all the rules overturned. And this was last year. This is last July. So the IOC kind of hemmed and hawed for a while and didn't say what they were going to do, and finally said. Um, that they were not going to have any. They, they just there wasn't time to appeal the 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 overturning of these of these policies before the games. So, going into these games, 
there is no um yeah, there's no there's no successing. There's no nothing to say, yes, you're really woman for the purposes of competition, which is for a ton of people a, a victory. Um, you know, a lot of people think that it, simply declaring your gender identity should be enough. Um, you know, there's there's people or scientists, especially ones associated with the IAAF um, and the IOC who think that this is a total travesty. There's athletes who think this is a travesty, too. You know, they they think that there needs to be some way of keeping the the playing field leveled for women. The, the because um, the underlying to all of this, which we didn't even say at the beginning, but is the general uh, medically agreed upon position that men have a superior physical capability right. than so, women. Is that right? So this is this is really interesting. So I mean, men do you know as we know we can look at you know the hundred meter dash men's event women's event um, men especially men tend to have a ten to twelve advantage. Um, uh, it's it's really different across different sports. I mean, obviously you can't compare a hundred meter dash to like the powerlifting I don't sure. know, competition or like equestrian right. sports or right. whatever. But there's there's something like a ten to twelve percent advantage um, for men over women. What the court said was that you can't prove that testosterone amounts uh, accounts for this entire advantage. You, you know, if it accounts for one to two percent of that advantage, then it's just like, you know, any other genetic variation like height or, you know, arm span or whatever it is Completely. that is, that is you, you were just born with. And that's so interesting because it comes back to, um, in, in a way, like protecting what is female mm-hmm. also serves to protect what's male. And, and it just seems to me, I don't know if this is something that you came away from reporting with, but you end up with policies that serve to keep women as like to diminish women like anyone who's tested for being somewhat masculine is done so in the sense that um it couldn't be that there was a woman who would maybe have these traits or right, or be right, 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 or have right, right, this right. this physical capability right right so so you you keep what's feminine defined in in a sort of mm-hmm. less impressive or or <laughs> less threatening kind of realm right and protect what is masculine in the process yeah i mean it's 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 not an easy resolution though because uh i mean what what's the end game here i mean some people, uh, most people don't really, don't actually think this, but some people have sort of suggested, even as a thought experiment, you know, why don't we just do, why do we sort sport by through gender, why do we filter sport through this gender lens or whatever? Maybe we of. should just have everyone mixed. Yeah, if you, but if you did that, at least for <laughs> this generation and God knows how many, you know, women wouldn't even make the qualifications to get into the Olympics. They wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't qualify. Yeah. So it would just, it would just. And you wouldn't want the A and B team kind of. No, it would just, it would just, <laughs> like, well, that's, yeah. So it would just nuke women's sports. And, right. you know, the women who fought to compete at the Olympics would be pretty pissed. No kidding. <laughs> if that happened. So, but I mean, that's not really a, I don't, very few people are sort of really suggesting that. Um, but it, it is an interesting sort of. Uh, a thought experiment you know what what do we how much of that 10 to 12 percent is another one to two percent simply socialization Uh, Mm -hmm. you know you see with marathon runners marathon marathoners break world records when they have fast runners around them that's you know you see you know even shorter distance track people talk about a fast race or a slow race you know if we (laughs) how how much of it is just how much we 
we encourage women to to participate in sport, provide them the same sort of the same motivation, the same you know financial supports. Yeah. I mean, again, if or even the cultural milieu of yeah. like you're supposed to be strong. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean. Uh, you know, if, if sports celebrates genetic outliers, that's what it does. Uh, it's not the only thing it does, but you know, right. when you're when you're looking at Michael Phelps, you are celebrating a genetic outlier. Uh, how big is our pool of female genetic outliers? Right? If we mm-hmm. encouraged more women to participate in sport, um, would we have this fantastically wider and deeper pool of athletes who maybe would start pressing up into the you know, male range exactly of, of yeah. achievement. So, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that we we just don't know. We don't know. I think I want to end on this idea of um, that you said before we started rolling about how this has affected your enjoyment of the Olympics. You're normally <laughs> an avid, yeah, sort of addicted well, watcher, and you're not watching it. This I feel year. like the Winter Olympics more than the Summer Olympics usually. But yeah, I don't know. This whole thing really s- kind of soured me on on the whole. Actually, I printed out this quote um, that I want to read. It's the it's from Pierre de Coubertin, who is the the this baron who started the modern Olympic movement. Um, it was when sort of people were s- first talking about uh, including women in in competition and. He said, in our view, this feminine semi-Olympiad is impractical, uninteresting, ungainly, and I do not hesitate to add improper. And then he says something like, um, the Olympics is about the solemn and periodic exaltation of male athleticism, uh, yada, 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 and the, with the applause of women as an award. <laughs> I know. And it just made me think like, man, is this whole thing just steeped in bullshit like, and complete sexism yeah. I think so I mean I think that's been clearly my argument from the beginning it's the, <laughs> it's the setup of this entire show right. which, which really it really it really bummed me out so yeah. I don't know but on the other hand I mean the 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 athletes are who suffer you know as a result of, the, of these crazy crappy science free policies so I don't you know boycotting the Olympics or whatever doesn't really help them either. So right. I haven't really... I've How do we been support like, and celebrate all women yeah. who want to compete? I yeah, that's exactly. a hard question. Yeah, I've been squinting at it through one eye, basically. <laughs> Kate Allen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Endwave is made by Metro News Canada and available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you like us, please give us a review. It was produced by me, Rosie, recording, editing, and post-production by Outloud Post-Production. Our theme song was written by Jonah Falco and Matt LaForge is our leader. You can reach us via Twitter. Our handle is at Enthwave Podcast and all our episodes are also online at metronews.ca slash features slash nth dash wave. That's our show this week. Talk to you next time. This has been a Metro podcast.